When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a, at a point right now where they're, I think, clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of Sunbelt football is the strongest in our history. Uh, and we got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. Welcome back to Fun Belt Podcast. I'm back. Uh, this is Jeremy Harper with Dusty Thibodeau, a Warhawk Report, and uh, Ben Moore from Panther Talk. Uh, we're here today to talk a little bit about the Red Wolves, and we got two guests to talk about the Red Wolves. But before we bring them in, before we bring them out of the green room, I, I just want to ask both Ben and Dusty, when I say Arkansas Red Wolves football, what do you think of Ben? What's your head coach? Who's the head coach? Okay, that's good. That's good because we've got that reputation, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. All right. All I'm just saying is that Red Wolves football does have a reputation, right? But the reputation isn't always excellent football, which just blows my mind because we had several years where the Red Wolves were the top football program in the Sun Belt. So we're gonna talk a little bit about the Red Wolves tonight and where they are, where they're headed. And we're not gonna just rely on my input, even though I'm a huge Red Wolves fan. If you rely on my input, you're not gonna get the full story. So we're gonna bring in two Red Wolves experts. One has an encyclopedic knowledge of Red Wolves history and statistics, Kara Ritchie. The other is the physically the strongest person I know, and that's Jay Burr. Guys, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, no, I'm here. I, I was just, you know, admiring my biceps in my rearview mirror. <laughs> uh, Jay actually uh, produces a show every year called uh, uh, Wolf Den, which I occasionally show up on, and I know Kara occasionally shows up on. So Jay is a, 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 a huge pundit of Red Wolves knowledge. And I want to say to you, Jay, I'm going to start the first question off with you. What is this Red Wolves team going to do this year? Man, that is really the million-dollar question. I mean, they could either just kick everybody's ass or they could potentially just get their ass kicked uh, in every game. Karen, do you want to jump in on that? What's, what are the Red Wolves going to do? We don't know. There's 50 new people on the roster. It's very hard to take their pulse. Do you have a pulse on this team? No. I mean, kind of, sort of, maybe a little bit. Uh, in, in the sense that um, 
I feel like the players are very invested. I feel like there's a lot of optimism, not even not necessarily around the fan base, but among the the players themselves. Um, the energy seems good when you go out and, and take in a practice and listen to the guys talk afterwards. But as far as, you know, in any way, shape or form, what they're going to look like, who's going to be playing at different positions, what these schemes are going to be like, nah, man, no clue. Yeah, nobody knows. It's a huge mystery. One of the mysteries that we have to crack is who's going to be the quarterback to start the season at the beginning of the seat or at the beginning of the year, it looked like Lane Hatcher had an open road to it. Now we get a, a, a transfer quarterback from Florida state, James Blackman, who's supposedly doing it, the practices are closed. Nobody seems to know for sure, but there's been very good reviews coming out about James Blackman. So who's going to be the guy. I, I, I lean Blackman. But, you know, year in and year out, we what do we do? We, we count Lane Hatcher out. Um, you go back to spring of 2020, and Blake Anderson straight up told everybody, hey, Logan Bonner is going to be the guy. And then what did we see in, in the season? Yes, there was the COVID factor and different things going on like that, and it was great to have two different quarterbacks prepared, but Lane Hatcher worked his way into that conversation. He comes in this year as the incumbent, and, you know, they're not going to bring somebody in unless they think that guy can have a good chance to compete for that role. But then – I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, we don't get to see anything. It's hard to figure out who, how is Lane Catcher better? You know, what is, what could Blackman do this season to possibly cut down on the interceptions that he threw at Florida State? It is just, we're going to talk about kind of going into everything blind. There's a lot of reason for optimism, no matter who ends up being the starting guy. But if, if you put me on the spot today, I would lean 60 40 Blackman, but there's an excellent chance that might change by tomorrow. Yeah, because Lane Hatcher always seems to rise to the occasion. And you don't understand exactly why, except he puts up monster stats every time he takes the field. There's something about Lane Hatcher that just leads to yards well, and touchdowns. You know, he's, he's just really efficient. I mean, even during his time at Pulaski Academy here uh, in, in Little Rock, I mean, the guy just doesn't mess up, or he rarely does. And even as, a, you know, basically a freshman last year, uh, seeing his first consistent action, I mean, he just didn't screw up a lot. And I think that's really what's going to set him apart. Now, if, if everything is, is true coming out of, you know, uh, workout season that he's put on tons of weight, like good weight, you know, going from, you know, 185 or so to, you know, 210, it's like, whoa, you know, maybe now he's got a bit of a cannon. So I, I don't know if, if that is a thing, but normally he's been pretty smart with the ball. And, and really, you know, not to knock him, but he, he's kind of a game manager type of guy. And he's, he's somewhat elusive. I mean, he's got a wrestling background. So he, he's not just some, you know, lightweight quarterback, you know, Tom Brady guy. So, I, I mean, it's going to be real interesting to see who they go with and if, if that even means anything in the first game because it is against UCA, University of Central Arkansas. So it's kind of their FCS tune-up. Not that it, uh, UCA is a pushover, mind you. God, uh, do FCS. not underestimate UCA, Jay. No, no and that, that's what I'm saying. It's like they're not a pushover. They're actually a pretty solid FCS team. So uh, now is this a game that ASU should win very comfortably? Absolutely, especially with all the tools and the chess that they now have. And kind of going to, to Kara's point, you just have no idea what you're going to get out of some of those pieces. So that, I think, is the reason for some of the excitement. But when it comes down to this quarterback thing, I think this first game, is, is going to tell a lot. And I, and I would also be interested to see how much of the playbook 
gets opened up for those guys. Because, you know, you don't want to flash a, two, a whole lot for Memphis, but at the same time, you know, you really got to find out who's going to be that guy. You know, because you hate to go into a season with, with two guys. I mean, we saw how that worked at times last year, and there was other times where it, it kind of didn't make sense. So, I, for me, that, that first game is going to tell you a lot, probably more than, than what practice is. But I, I think, again, if I had to be put on the spot, I, I bet Blackman gets the nod. But, you know, Hatcher's going to be in there quite a bit for that first game at least. Why, why are we having this conversation when y'all have probably the best quarterback in Arkansas State history? I mean, he'll be on the sidelines, but, I mean, you have Ryan Applin. You, you have a quarterback. So, I mean, who cares? You, you're covered. You're fine. Are you, are you implying that we could take a coach off the sideline, put him in pads, and he would have some eligibility? Can we get Ryan Applin back? I like watching him play, so I'm good with it. But, you know uh, – I don't know how the good old NCAA would feel. Maybe his new name is Ian Applin, or, you know, maybe he just assumes the identity of one of these guys that you're just like, nah, you're not going to cut it. So you're now going to coach and Applin's in. If we're picking guys off the sideline, though, I will say that A-State, I'd be really interested if there's a team in the Sun Belt that has as many high-profile QBs on the sideline as the Red Wolves do. You already mentioned Ryan Applin. His GA actually used to be – Kind of weird. Uh, the quarterback for Middle Tennessee State, he was actually on the field in 2012 when A-State beat the crap out of them. He was the opposing quarterback. But other than that game, he had a really, really good career. And then the offensive coordinator, Keith Heckendorf, uh, used to play for St. Cloud State. And I know that's not a school that probably gets talked a lot about a lot, but they're a D3 powerhouse, and he was in the running for the for the D3 Heisman. So you kind of got a good assemblage there of – Philip. Butterfield. Oh, Philip Butterfield. Yeah, we got yeah. A-State legend Philip Butterfield in the booth this he year. He's doing some play-by-play. So we really do have a lot of experience. So really, we shouldn't really even have a problem with quarterback this year. And Corey Leonard's still in town. So, I mean, you got somebody even on the bench. <laughs> we could get Corey Leonard back. It would be, maybe Cleo Lemon could show up, too. That would be great. Well, you know, Dust Miami Buck, Dolphin Dusty, legend. You know, both Dusty and uh, and Ben said when they think about Arkansas State, they think about who the hell's be, who the hell is the coach this year. Well, this year the coach is uh, is uh, oh oh god, Butch Jones. He comes from Tennessee. Everybody has an opinion about Butch Jones, even though Butch Jones led Tennessee to its only win or to a winning or he came away with a winning record out of Tennessee. Everybody seems to to call him one of the worst things that ever happened to Tennessee. Kara, what do you see out of the team since Jones has arrived as opposed to when Anderson was there? I don't – it's it's hard to compare in terms of their attitude from last year to this year. Last year was just – last year was weird. Um, the year before that, they, they were grieving. It's It's been a minute since this was kind of a normal Blake Anderson squad, and I have slept since then, unfortunately. So it's hard for me to kind of recollect exactly what the energy level was um, back in 2018. But it does seem like the players are very invested, and they bought into the process, which, of course, is something that Butch Jones has thrown out there a million times from his time at Alabama. So there's optimism there because, like, coaches are going to give you coach speak, and Butch Jones is very measured in what he says. There is there is a there are no unprepared, unrehearsed statements that really come out of his mouth. But 18, 19, 20 year old guys, like they 
they don't sit there and think through everything they can possibly say. They give you what they're thinking. And even if they don't, um, even if they are a little bit more measured, you can read it in their body language, you know, how they feel when they walk off the field and things like that. And this is this is right now a really optimistic group and a group that is really bought in um, to what Butch Jones has said and into the process and all of the other things um, that they've kind of outlined with their program. One of the things I also want to talk about wasn't just the, the quarterback situation, which is as intriguing as can be, although maybe intriguing in a way that's more stomach turning than actually intriguing. One of the things that we've been looking at, when you look at the Red Wolves last year, their four-win season, and you saw, you saw where a lot of the deficiencies were. The biggest deficiencies were on defense. Do you think that Coach Jones has spackled those deficiencies through the transfer wire and through this new culture that he's putting together? Or are we going to see the same problems that we saw last year? Well, I think just having the natural switch back to a 4-3 because the linebacking depth for ASU has been just abysmal for years. And, you know, why, you know, the, the previous regime thought it was smart to switch to a 3-4, with that in mind, it's still perplexing to me. Um, but, but I think just even doing that, I, I think will improve a lot of things. And I think we'll see a lot more of what this defense was able to do when they led the nation in turnovers uh, just a few years ago, or at least they were like right there at the top. Um, Cause I think they're going to be able to generate a little more pressure. Uh, this was a team that just didn't blitz a lot out of that three, four, cause it's kind of what you do with a three, four is you're able to blitz a little more because you have a little more of that speed that's out there. Um, but I think with the four, three and the way, the way things look at least on paper, um, you know, they're going to be able to generate a little more pressure so you can get away with some of that man-to-man in, in the secondary because, you know, you don't have to – you're going to rush guys into making throws, or at least that's the hope anyways. And we saw a ton of that uh, just – I think it was in even 2018 where, I mean, that front line was just in everybody's mix, and they didn't have to blitz even. And they were able to uh, get guys thinking quickly. I mean, that was the biggest problem. And that's why running quarterbacks have always been kind of a thorn in the Red Wolves side is because they just, you know, if you only, if you don't blitz and you you just kind of rush the minimum, you know, guys are going to have all day to sit back there and pick you apart. And you can only ask your secondary to cover for guys for so long before somebody's going to get open eventually. And it was always the broken plays is where we saw the big plays. Now, now last year was just an abysmal year for the secondary because they just got beat in every which way you could imagine. So, you know, you'd hope with a little inventiveness across the board, you know, at all three levels, you know, the D-line linebackers and then the secondary, that you'll see some improvements just based on the scheme alone. Cameron, is that right? Is it just the scheme alone or have we, has, have, have we, have the Red Wolves uh, uh, acquired the personnel that's going to be required to create that pressure that Jay's talking about? It's, it's both. It's the personnel and the scheme. Um, what this reminds me of, um, it, it, from what I've heard, again, not what I've seen. I because I haven't seen anything. What I've heard, uh, this off, or this defense, excuse me, reminds me a lot with, with the talent and with the way they talk about the aggressiveness of one of Joe Cawthon's early defenses. And I think it might have been um, his third year as defensive coordinator or, or the second, where you had Chris Odom on one side and Javon Roland-Jones on the other. 
And between those two, I think both of those guys finished the year in maybe the top 20 in tackles for loss or something in that. They were just they were just machines. And one of the things that helped is they also had, you know, the interior help there um, to be able to to take a double team. So you had one of those guys free on the end and it was just havoc that was constantly created for opposing offenses. And I feel like with with Joe Izugu on one side, who is a North Texas transfer, and then you've got Kavon Bennett, who's probably going to be on the other, who's a Tennessee transfer and is has been thrown into the mix at both defensive end and linebacker this fall. Um, you've just got two different guys that can really create um, some some situations where they're where they're trying to get to the quarterback. In addition to that, there's one comment that I've heard twice over the past week that really stands out from the A-State O-linemen. And this is two different O-linemen that have said this. Um, one is Andre Harris, who is an, an all-sunbelt type guy. Um, he's entering his fourth season for A-State. He's started pretty much since he was a freshman. So he's faced a lot of different defensive lines over his time. But he said repeatedly, and other guys have as well, that this is going to be the top defensive line that they face this season, is the one that they're seeing right now in practice. And guys aren't going to throw that out just to throw that out. Again, they're 20-year-old kids. They're not trying to uh-huh. stir up anything or whatever. So um, so that's something that really stands out is just how aggressive this defensive line is, how different it is from last season. Something that has been interesting to me is, is uh, the Red Wolves get to take on not one, but two AAC teams uh, this season in non-conference play. Uh, one, one locally there in Memphis, and, and you guys obviously can speak to the importance of that game for not only regional bragging rights, but I've seen uh, certainly out of the Memphis fan base, uh, they're excited that Tennessee is down so they can kind of hoisted themselves into the, uh, the state, uh, you know, lexicon, but uh, just, just those games there with Tulsa and Memphis, uh, how important you guys think those two are and, and uh, uh, kind of the takeaways away from, away from the Sun Belt, you know, obviously from the non-conference play. I mean, I, I think those games are huge, uh, probably just as big as maybe any conference game. Now I exaggerate a little bit there, but you know, that Memphis game, that one's going to be key because that's, I mean, that's kind of also your first real game of the year also. And then you add into it, it's a little bit of a rivalry game. So there's that aspect of it. And then you're playing against the peer conference and, you know, you always want to brag on your conference and especially the way the Sun Belt is coming out the gate here, you know, two teams, top 25 and both the coaches poll and the AP poll. So you don't want to be the ones that are kind of the letdown, you know, kind of like they were last year. So, those are going to be huge. Plus to just get some momentum going into that Washington game. Um, and, you know, then Tulsa is a team that's incredibly beatable. And then again, it kind of goes back to just having that, that flex moment over the American who is by far and away the best G five conference there is as, as much as it pains me to say, but you know, you, you got to have those types of things to build your program. And, and I'm going to hearken it back to, you know, a few coaches ago, but it's like, you know, that whole, Boise of the South thing. I mean, what did they do? They maybe didn't have, you know, the biggest names on their, you know, schedules, but they won the games. And and when you see a team that's consistently winning, you know, 10 plus games, well, it's going to catch your attention. I mean, the, the only reason like CCU is where they're at, I mean, hell, they went 12 and 12 and one or something to that effect last year. Now, did they have a bunch of world beaters on their schedule? No, but they handled their business. So, I mean, those are, those are some games that you've got to handle. And then also, too, just from a Sun Belt over the American, you got to have those bragging rights. Well, okay, now I look at those first two games, Jay. You got UCA, which 
you keep discounting a little bit. I don't know if I like that attitude. I don't think Kara would have that attitude. I think Kara knows what UCA could be, but can be like. But you have UCA who beat us uh, 2017, I think it was 2018. You have Memphis who has who has sort of had the upper hand lately. When Arkansas State loses those teams, it usually doesn't do well for the coaches. How important is it for Arkansas State? to not only beat UCA, but to show well and possibly beat Memphis, which to me, Memphis is almost a conference game. It has that kind of energy to me. Yeah, I mean, what, what would you rather be going into that Washington game, you know, one and one or 0 oh and two? <laughs> I mean, no, hell no, you want to be 2 and 0 oh going yeah. into that. And then that, you know, being in the, you know, and the Sun Belt's got a lot of goodwill right now uh, with, with Louisiana and Coastal right now. So you want to kind of enter into that conversation. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, 12 and 0 or bust here, but you know, you go into that because Memphis is a, a little bit of a darling, you know, and they're in the, the Americans. So, you know, the Americans got some rep. So you, I mean, that's a paramount game. I mean, I know it's, it sounds a little cliche, but and it's early in the season, but that's a game you like, you have to win that. You've got to yeah, win that going into Washington. I'm going to go even further than that. I want to kick Memphis's ass. I am tired of Memphis. Yeah. I am tired of their success. I am tired of them uh, lording it over us. Kara, are we yeah. going to win that game? Uh, sure. <laughs> the The more important question here is, is anybody ever going to find the paint bucket? No, I mean, that where is, is that bucket? That's, that's the rivalry for A-State and Memphis. It's called the paint bucket bowl. I've done some research Sometime in the mid-60s, the paint bucket disappeared and nobody has seen it since. Memphis had it last, so it's their fault. I got also, one in my garage. I'm more than willing to donate. Just a paint we, bucket. We it win is this like thing. the boringest trophy ever. It's, it's a bucket of paint. Like We could go to Lowe's and then just replicate this trophy and throw it back out there. And why nobody would it, be the wiser. Why don't some, why, somebody should do that? I mean, nobody's going to investigate. Nobody's going to take the DNA of the paint can and try to trace it back to that 60s can that was lost. Blue, half red. We can make yeah, it. just get it oh, done. Yeah. Hey, we... Just look at the old oaken bucket game between Indiana and Purdue. It's literally a wood bucket and some gold, you know, links of, you know, each school's, you know, initials. Yippee-ki-yay, boom, paint bucket. Yeah. Why, why don't we have this done? I, if this should be an arts and crafts project for Jay and Kara to get together, put together the paint can, make it a presentation. At, it's, we play in Jonesboro. We can, we can present the paint bucket and say, this is the, new, this, this is the original bucket. Nobody's going to say nay one way or the other. And uh, we can finally get that uh, that that tradition going again. You, you said this is an arts and craft. Are you are you implying the Arkansas State freshmen that they still glue macaroni to paper and things like that? No, Dusty. I don't know where where that where that's coming from. But there 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 seems to be some passive aggressiveness. Never from you about that. Never. What are some games that you are looking at? Uh, on 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 the schedule that aren't Memphis, that aren't Washington, that aren't Tulsa, or or for that matter, Coastal or Louisiana, are there games on the our schedule that you see as potential traps or potential or games that uh, we really need to look out for? Well, I think just in general, I feel like the Sun Belt continues to improve as a league, and I know this sounds very like 
kind of coach speaky or whatever, but I really do feel like more and more at this point in time with the league, you're, it's just not a situation where you can take a week off because every team is getting to a point where they're more and more talented. And then you get to a season like this where every team is a little bit more of an unknown because every team in the league has brought in transfers, maybe not 50 plus, but, or, or not everybody has 50 plus newcomers, but everybody's got somebody that's, that's incredibly, incredibly talented. And if you take them for granted, what happens? Well, they show up and they put up 722 yards on you, which is a number that is going to be etched in my head for forever because it was a horrible defensive game. But anyways, <laughs> what game was that? I don't know. I don't know. Ben Moore is laughing. So that gives yeah, you a yeah. He knows what that. game that was. Yeah. He knows what game that is, but, but, you know, yeah. you just look around the league and with the fact that you've got, you know, a couple new coaches in the league, with the fact that you've got, you know, Texas State has kind of retooled their roster, their entire signing class was transferred, so it's hard to figure out what they're going to look like. ULM has a new head coach, new coordinators, all of that. So all across the league, you can find storylines. You can look at teams and think, okay, well, maybe there's a chance that they're going to be better than last year. So you don't want to go in and just be completely slacking because you're looking ahead to this team or that team, or you're coming off a game where you just played App State or Louisiana because somebody's going to sneak up and they're going to kick your ass and it's going to be very unpleasant. I think that's one reason why Dusty started this podcast. I think in his head, he realized that there's not a weak link in the Sun Belt this year. There's any team out there that is that has the potential to be a very good team in 2021. I think so, you have the top three. And after that, it's very much a crapshoot that pretty much anybody could be anybody. And, and I still say that there will be a team that beats Coastal and or Lafayette and or App that has no business being in that game. So Jeremy is on this kick that he is going to start the rivalry of the Red Wolves Bobcats, that he has said words that almost got us booted off of every podcast platform when he talks about the Bobcats, trying to generate this. Who in your eyes is the Red Wolves rival, and how does that kind of – Kick it up because I mean, if you ask me, I could not tell you who everybody besides ULM and Lafayette, you know, Georgia State, Georgia Southern are are really the intense rivals of the conference. I still think it's the Raging Cajuns. Um, that was a series that got kind of feisty when Coach Medium was still there. Um, and Billy Napier has taken it down a notch, but don't fall out of your chair, Dusty. <laughs> Billy Napier has taken it down a notch, but there was some genuine animosity there between the players, between, between everybody involved. When you go back to, I think it was maybe around, around 2017 uh, maybe, or 2016, there was a game between the Cajuns and the Red Wolves and it was in Lafayette and the end of it just turned into a bleep show. I don't know what I could say on this podcast and not say on this podcast, but it was just a disaster at the end of the game. You had, what was almost a brawl you had um the sunbelt was a mess for reasons that i still don't understand they had an officiating crew handling that game that had already been reprimanded once in the season for being incompetent so they put them on this thursday night midweek nationally televised game between rivals and what happens turns into another bleep show so you've got like players that are like spitting at each other and throwing punches after the whistle. And then a week later, the Sun Belt has to reprimand the officials. They have to reprimand like the Louisiana strength coach, half a dozen players, Robert Spear, who's like the, 
who works with the state police almost got into a fight on the sideline. This dude is 65. Like it was insane. And these teams, even though, again, it has been taken down a notch, the players still don't like each other. And so that's, that's still it. Is it as spicy as it was five, six years ago? No, but there's still a little bit of that animosity there. And so as far as in the league for a state, it's still the raging Cajuns. You know, you mentioned the spice, and we've interviewed some some uh, people from representing different schools this year, from South Alabama, Texas State, Appalachian State. Really, there isn't a whole lot of heat being spoken about the Red Wolves this year. It's all about you know the big three, the Troika that is ruling the Sun Belt uh, landscape at the moment. And the Red Wolves really feel kind of forgotten right now. Are, first of all, do we deserve to be forgotten? And I think yes. And two, is this a season where we're no longer forgotten? When you go four and seven, you really don't have a lot to beat your chest about. Backing up before that, when you have lofty expectations um, around the program, around the conference, even nationally, and you fail to make it time and time again to the Sunbelt Conference game, it's hard to beat your chest. Um, when you have a one-sided rivalry all of a sudden with the Cajuns, you, you can't beat your chest. When you lose multiple games where you are a significant favorite, you don't get to beat your chest anymore. And so right now, based on recent history, A-State doesn't belong in that conversation. Based on recent history with those top three teams that um, are, of course, at Coastal and, and the Cajuns. But I do feel optimistic for this for this season, because one, I just feel like this defense is going to be so much better. And if you go back to last season, um, the offense was pretty good, even with the weird two quarterback thing. If the, if the defense just would have been average or even slightly below average, A-State could have went to a bowl game, but no, 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 they were awful. And especially past defense wise. So it's not like you have to just completely retool the team. It's not like you need significant changes on offense and defense and special teams. It's a better defense and a couple tweaks here and there. And all of a sudden this team is much, much more competitive. And I believe they brought in the personnel to do that. Some of the talent they, they brought in, I mean, just remember the name Kevon Bennett. This dude is going to be a wrecking ball in the Sunbelt Conference this year. And I'm 100% confident of that. You know, on the other side of the ball, you know, first of all, anytime, and I, I don't know if, if Georgia State and ULM is the same way, but it seems like at A-State, we always get at least one transfer that we're all like, oh, this is the guy that's going to change everything for us. This is the guy that is going to like just be the bee's knees. And then for whatever reason, sometimes they contribute in a small way and a lot, sometimes they just end a disaster. It seems like we're playing the average this year in terms of we've got so many, one of these guys has to really turn up. What I, Bennett is one of those guys, yes, I think is going to turn up. Another guy that I'm, I, I, I just have a feeling for is Hunt, the, the yeah. wide receiver out of TCU. Are there any other people that you're looking at that you see as possibly rising to the to the top of the depth chart and contributing in a way that uh, is significant? Um, when I think about, you know, the transfers that I brought in, um, you know, Joe Izugu, who's going to be on the opposite um, of the, the defensive line there with Kevon Bennett. 
He's going to be, I think, a big-time contributor. Uh, John Mincy, I think, who's also a Tennessee transfer at the interior of the defensive line, he's going to rotate in and out there. Um, that's going to be a big guy. But then two of the really important pieces that were brought in this year are going to be, you know, bookends on the offensive line. Uh, you've got Nick Lewis, who's a transfer from Kentucky. And, guys, Nick Lewis is the largest human being I've ever seen before <laughs> in my life. When he was brought in from Kentucky, he was listed at 6'9". And then they're like, no, 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 let's measure again. So he's 6'10". He's like 6'10", 325. Oh, and wow. you see guys that are this big on a basketball court on your TV. You don't see them in person. He uh-huh. is a giant human, just huge. So he's going to be on one side. And then on the other side, you're going to have uh, Robert Holmes, a guy who was at uh, started his career at UConn, most recently was at Austin P. So you've got those two guys that are going to be at, at left and right guard and or left and right tackle. And so all of a sudden, your deep, your offensive line has just changed dramatically from what we saw last year. Um, my concern with Lane Hatcher is that he can't throw the ball over Nick Lewis <laughs> in terms of like back to the quarterback battle for a second, uh, but. But when you're talking about newcomers, you know, those two guys on the offensive line, but the end pieces on the O-line, the end pieces on the D-line, those are some of the guys that are transfers that I, I really expect to shine. Arkansas State has three straight years of a winning non-conference record. Can it be four? Um, I, I do think so. Um, one of the fascinating things about that is the fact that for a long time, it, it seems like the constant conversation was that Arkansas State could not win a – road non-conference game in fact I think it was from like 2008 to maybe 2019 that did not happen um, as far as a true road game now they won bowl games in that stretch but true road game they the last one they won for forever was at Texas A&M in 2008 and then I think it was all the way until maybe 2019 before they won another one or, or maybe 2018 but a, a significantly long amount of time um the, the I think you know I, I'm not concerned about UCA um I'd, I think it will be a good challenge to start the season. I think there's a lot of things that Butch Jones is going to inevitably be very mad at after that game, but but I'm not that concerned there. Memphis, I'm not sure about their roster. I feel like they lost a lot of talent um, to the transfer portal and also just to, um, you know, some, some guys doing other things in the offseason. Tulsa is such a monster X factor. Even last year, you go back and you go through their games – you didn't know if they were going to win at any point in time during the game until like the final score, because they would start out so poorly in so many games. And then all of a sudden some kind of light switch would be flipped at the half. And then they would go on and just upset some team. And it was all, all of their games were, were white knuckle rides from beginning to end. So trying to predict exactly what's going to happen there is hard, but I will tell you that it seems like since he's been at Tulsa, Philip Montgomery has a good season and then a not good season, and then a good season, and then a not good season. So they're due to kind of be terrible. And they lost some really important talent um, on on defense. In fact, I think they had a linebacker that was maybe a first-round draft pick, or he won the – it was Zayvon Collins. He won a huge award. He was very, very, very good. So their defense is going to be with that this year. I I think it's possible for this team to have a winning record in non-conference play, but they're going to have to come together very, very quickly right out of the gate. You've covered Arkansas State for a while now. You've made the trips to Mobile, to Montgomery, New Orleans. What's your favorite bowl and why? Montgomery is the most recent. And although I've had some great memories there, you know, the most recent bowl was a little bit of after 
not a down season, but after a season where there weren't as many wins. So maybe there weren't as many fans there. Um, so it wasn't quite, quite as much of a fun scene. New Orleans is one of my favorite cities on the planet because I love to eat. But <laughs> when, when you're in New Orleans, you're not really a high priority because there's always something going on in New Orleans. I loved Mobile. I loved it. One, you were treated like almost royalty from, from the town. The town loved Arkansas State. Um, there was a ritual that uh, the Friday night before the bowl game, which it used to be on on actually a Sunday, I think. So a lot of the fans would roll into town on a Friday and you would go to Winsel's. And <laughs> Winsel's yeah. would have, not only would you stuff your face, but one of the high roller alumni would pick up the tab. So I think one year, Johnny Allison had a $15,000 bar tab at Winsel's. And how do you not love, how do you not love that? I mean, you go, you get free oysters, you get some beers, you get to see all your friends and it starts what's an incredible weekend. And plus some of the games down there, you know, that's where Arkansas State knocked off its first top 25 opponent. That's where that's Arkansas great. State went and picked up its first bowl win as, as a D1 team. And then again, the cool thing about it is just the camaraderie. They had the parade and things like that. There was just an awesome vibe down there of walking downtown, walking down um, their main street and just feeling like it had been taken over by a state faithful. It's, it's just really hard to top some of the memories that were, that were had in Mobile. And I would love for a state to go back sometime soon. Yeah. Cause it's four years with four years ago in the lad people stadium, which is, it's just a, a, a beautiful asbestos ridden edifice of concrete and misery. So well, I thought you were talking about the Crampton Bowl in Montgomery there for a minute. No, I don't, no, it's the Lead <laughs> Peoples. It's the best. I will say, like every other stadium I've ever been to on the planet, you can only purchase so many beverages at a time. Usually it's <laughs> two, but at at like Lad Peoples, you could get a six pack of beer still in the rings and like stuff them in all your pockets and just yes. go. So, I mean, you save the trip. It's more economical with your stabs. You don't miss as much gameplay and you certainly can't miss any gameplay because they don't have any jumbotrons for you to watch replays on. You got to have your butt in your seat to be able to take it in. No, when you buy a beer at the GoDaddy Bowl, which eventually became, I don't even know what bowl it is now. But it was like buying from a bootlegger. It was some guy that had like a cooler that wasn't quite inside the stadium, but not quite outside the stadium. And yeah, it was like a ring. You get like five beers. It was still in the ring. So there is a charm about those four bowls that we, we went to back in the yeah. day that yeah, I don't think could ever be duplicated. We could go to the Peach Bowl or the Rose Bowl and be like, eh, it's nothing compared to the old GoDaddy Bowls with uh Pulling up that, and parking in somebody's yard and then buying um, some alcohol from somebody who had a card table of spirits. How, yeah. do you, how do you top that? You can't top it. it. There was a charm to it that 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 just can't be duplicated by a, a high production. Uh, Kara, I was going to ask you a question that we've been asking everybody who comes on here. It's a little bit about um, realignment and, and how it might affect the Sun Belt. Will it affect the Sun Belt? And if it does, how will it affect the Sun Belt? If I was in charge, which I've unfortunately been told repeatedly I am not, well, you I be. would not big time tinker with the Sun Belt. And, and here's why, you know, the Sun Belt, Carl Benson, you know, the A-State faithful rips on him quite a bit, but he mm -hmm. did some significantly huge things for the Sun Belt. And at the top of that list was the way that he handled realignment. 
because we saw Conference USA go out and chase markets and what happened, the teams aren't very good and their TV contracts have res responded with that. And now they're in like the BN channel and one game is on Facebook and one uh, out of every six games is on ESPN, but you don't know if it's your team or if it's another team. And you don't know if it's going to be that way if your team is at home or if your team is on the road. Um, so that just turned into a whole mess, Conference USA did. The Sun Belt is stable. And one of the things with the Sun Belt is just having 10 teams, that's only 10 mouths to feed. So a lot of times people are like, oh, let's go add this school to the Sun Belt, this school to the Sun Belt. You don't do that unless you get to re renegotiate your ESPN package. And I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon because what did, what did uh, Kamish Gill say at, at Sun Belt Conference Media Day? said, hey, we've extended our rights package yeah. with, this, with ESPN. So I don't know when those negotiations get to come up again. So unless... You know, 2030, just to answer that question, Tara. Yep. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you appreciate that. But but unless you know for a fact that if you bring in Southern Miss and if you bring in Marshall, that all of a sudden you're getting to bring in a significantly larger amount of money too, you stand pat and you really try and kind of uh, get everybody in the league on the same page. Because let's be honest, anybody would bolt in a second if they could go to the AAC or anywhere else because there's more money. But in the meantime, you have, you need to represent or present a really, really strong unified front yeah. and make it look like everybody in this league is on the same page together and it's, you know, stronger together. And what did, what did the Sun Belt, we all rise something. I don't even remember. That was like three, three slogans ago, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you've got to, that's what you've got to do in the meantime, you know, keep it at 10 and make sure all of those 10 are, are thumping their chest about the fact that this is a better league than it's been in years and, and the future is bright. So bright you know, that the, Carl Benson used to have to wear shades. The answer that you gave is pretty much the answer that everybody's come on the show has said. They said that the Sun Belt is so strong. Why screw it up with another member? There is one member that at least one person on this show thinks should be here. And I'd like to know your opinion on that. And that is the Idaho Vandals. Am I supposed to respond to that? Yes. That was a good enough response right there. <laughs> I think we can end it right what? there. All right. Good show, guys. Uh, I, I do miss – I miss the Kibbe Dome. Um, I miss Aggie Vision, New Mexico State. God love them. Uh, you know, one thing that I don't know if people remember or not, it, it almost wasn't Coastal Carolina in terms of expansion. It was almost Eastern Kentucky. So, you know, if you want to have a nice shoulda, coulda, woulda with, with that story, um, maybe maybe you can talk about adding them, Harper. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the one school I do miss legitimately, though, is Western Kentucky. I thought they brought so much. They were here at the time when they – it was almost unheard of to have that uh, kind of mid-major and make that Sweet 16 run that they did. Yeah. They were always – they got competitive in football. They were always competitive in baseball, uh, softball, and all the other non-revenue sports. <clears throat> but I feel like that basketball is really something big that we're missing. I think that's a great point, Dusty. Um, they did have some really good teams that were able to have some deep runs. And I think when you talk about realignment right now, I don't know that there's anything necessarily that the Sun Belt could add from a football perspective that makes the league significantly stronger. But in terms of basketball, this is a team, a, a league that's had a tiny bit of success. You've had the Little Rock win um, over Purdue a couple years ago. You had Georgia State being able to beat Baylor a few years ago. And what happens every time you get a win in the NCAA tournament, you pick up a win share. And that's worth 
$1.7 million and rising every year. So if you're going to add somebody, what would be the chances of going out and adding a, a team or two that is really, really strong in hoops might keep go out and get you a win there because, because then that, that definitely adds money. It's not a question of, Oh, how much more could ESPN maybe pay us? The NCAA will pay you for that win. And that's, that's a known fact. So that would be an interesting look. If there ever was more realignment talk, could we ever see teams approach it from a, or leagues approach it from a basketball standpoint instead of just football? Well, on that note, Kara, we want to say thank you for all the penetrating insight that you have provided for us about the Red Wolves and about the Sun Belt. Every time I talk to you, I seem to get like some sort of new bit of insight that I didn't have before. So thank you very much for being on the show. I hope that satisfies the guy who in my DMs was angry that we weren't talking enough about the Red Wolves. So here is your all Red Wolves show. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that everything that Kara said comes true, especially with the offensive line. No clue. No clue. Just a stab in the dark is what this season is. So apologies for lying to everybody for an hour. I hope it was at least entertaining. Everybody will forget by the end of the year. There you go. Dusty, do you have a major announcement of some kind regarding uh, scheduling and promotion and maybe a guest? I I don't know. Something that maybe our our listeners should know. We have our first second. As big as he is, he'll be our first major guest. Even though Chris is well, a major guest. Kara is a major mm-hmm. guest, but on the she's national really she's a regional guest. Oh, okay. Not okay. to downplay her. Not to downplay her. We had the national guest of Chris Vanini from the, yeah. the Athletic on. But next week, Jeremy, the man that can make all of our dreams come true Who? be joining us. Who is well, it gonna not be? Walt Disney, not Walt Disney. Even better. The commish. No, Gill. No, Keith Gill. You're kidding me. Keith Gill. Keith Gill has agreed on the recording with us. Now, do we have to sign a waiver? Do we? Is there some sort of power of attorney? Is there anything that we legally that we need to cover ourselves before we have Keith Gill on the show? Yes, you have to cover yourself when he is on the show. (laughs) Okay. All right. So, okay. Well, I guess we'll be ready for Keith Gill. Was that Tuesday? Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I don't have to get like, I have to shave. We'll have to get matching cummerbunds. Is there anything? Should we have a cheese tray? Should we have a vegetable tray? It's Keith Gill. I I have not read his writer to know what kind of. uh, Oh, my God. We need to know these things. Oh, hell. All right. Well, that's that's a pretty big deal. Ben, is there uh, anything in uh, in Atlanta world we need to know about before we shut down the show? Yeah, I, I uh, want to also extend my thank you to Kara and, and appreciate her, uh, her her reaching out from time to time. I get to stop in and talk a little uh, little Georgia State Panthers once in a while and on her fair radio station. But um, it's it's exciting, man. Uh, you know, it's. 17 days away, uh, week zero, we were talking about it already. College game day is going to be on the campus of Georgia State in the in Center Park Stadium and uh, just announced today the Migos are the guest pickers, uh, former former uh, uh, Metro Atlanta football and basketball players there who just uh, happen to be quite a famous little rap group. So exciting times there, and uh, Panther Talk will be making an appearance, and if I can get a, a Fun Belt podcast swag, I may try to see if I can get that on ESPN as well. We'll see if we can hook you up with some swag. 
Kara, is there anything that you want to plug or pitch before we uh, we bid you adieu? Um, well, I'm not sure when this when this podcast is going to you know hit worldwide circulation. Tonight, but, Dusty is going to oh. put it together. It's going to oh, be ready awesome. to go, right, Dusty? Red Bull uh, <laughs> should be a sponsor, and yes, it'll happen. I will go ahead and say then that uh, Thursday, tomorrow, August the 19th, um, my show, The Workday Red Zone, will be live on location out at Arkansas State Football Media Day. A little bit later in the year than a lot of teams have theirs, but uh, we anticipate a star-studded uh, show. We're going to be talking with several players, of course, Butch Jones and uh, A.D. Tom Bowen as well. So really excited for that. That's noon to 2 on 953theticket.com. And uh, in addition to that, we'll have replays up everywhere. And it'll be, I mean, if, if you're even remotely in the vicinity of Twitter, you'll be able to find it. By the way, I'm at Kara underscore Richie, if anybody wants to follow along. I do have one announcement for howraiser.com. It's something that we're really excited about. For years, we talked about who's the Sunbelt Sheriff. Uh, who is that program that pulls out the bully club and really gives it to everybody in the Sunbelt? It's not always the champion. Sometimes it, it's, it's just a team that just is consistently just tough to beat. Uh, and this year we decided at howraiser.com to make that an official award. So we're, we've come up with the Sunbelt Sheriff's Badge, which will be awarded annually to the athletic director whose program is deemed the Sunbelt Sheriff. It'll be awarded at the end of the year. Uh, I want you guys to look out for that, maybe have some input as to who is the Sunbelt Sheriff. You never know who it's going to be because it's got to be somebody who really takes it to the rest of the league. And again, it doesn't necessarily have to be the champion. Like, for instance, I don't know if I will have made Coastal Carolina the Sunbelt Sheriff last year. I don't know if they had that kind of had that kind of juice. But anyway, I just want to make that announcement. I want you guys to look out for it. And if somebody's going to win a very handsome badge. I just love the picture that I saw of the badge. It was upside down. That was so fitting. Is it upside down? Fun bill, baby. Yes, sir. It should be for just for just complete chaos for the entropy that Sunbelt causes. An upside down badge. That should be it. I mean, I thought the Boobis Cup was a big deal, but now I'm really sold on this whole Sunbelt Sheriff thing. Hey, you know the Boobis Cup? Just throw it in the trash. Sunbelt Sheriff's badge. That's where it's at. 